You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to this week's episode of Herd, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Herd is hosted by me, Joe Hakeem, and I'm joined by Nick Britsky of Nick Drinks, Jason Leinert of the Detroit Optimist Society, and Vato of the Hungry Dudes. We are joined each episode by workers, leaders, and analysts of the hospitality industry. Please take a moment to subscribe to Herd on the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcast app, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or however you listen to your podcast. If you like or dislike what you hear, write a review. We love hearing from our listeners. You can visit Herd at HerdPodcast.com, follow Herd on Twitter and Instagram at HerdPodcast, and like Herd Podcast on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and now here's this week's episode of Herd. sitting with Daniel Estrada, co-founder and CEO of 86 Repairs. 86 Repairs is a sponsor of this week's episode of Herd. You can learn more about 86 Repairs at 86repairs.com slash Herd. Daniel, what is 86 Repairs? Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me. Um, 86 Repairs manages the whole repair and maintenance process for restaurant groups. So essentially, we act like your in-house facilities manager for a fraction of the cost. And so our goal really is to help restaurant operators save time and money by managing the repair process end to end. So when something goes down in the restaurant, a customer can text, call, or email us, and we manage the whole process of getting it fixed. And this is a 24-7 service? It is. It's 24-7. So if it's Friday night, your walk-in goes down, your GM can have one number to call, um, we will help your staff troubleshoot the issue, try to avoid a service visit if we can. That's one way we save customers a lot of money. Um, so simple things that we can help them fix, manage on their own. If you do need a service company to come out, then we have a vetted network of service companies that we work with. Or we can work with our customers' preferred vendors if you have a relationship with a company that you like. And then we'll dispatch them. We'll manage all the communication. We'll track everything, make sure they come, make sure the issue gets resolved. And we track everything in a, in a software platform um, so we can give you better insights about running your restaurant. That's great. To learn more about 86 Repairs, once again, go to 86repairs.com slash hurt. Hello, friends, and welcome to Herd, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. We are surrounded by wine bottles. Tonight's guest has brought lots of wine with him. He is the general manager and director of production of Detroit Vineyards, Chris Southern. Chris. Hello, hello. It's good to see you. Um, So you guys are the first vineyard in Detroit. And you just joked you might be. (laughs) could be the last. (laughs) Um, Okay, so. I want to start with, uh, first of all, what did you bring with you? Lots of things. <laughs> I brought a kind of an assortment. So we've got um, a Riesling from 2017, uh, Chardonnay from Last Vintage, um, Pinot Noir from 2017, and then I brought uh, a growler of dry cider. We also make cider at the winery. Um, and then some new stuff. So only just finished fermentation, 2019 Chardonnay, and then uh, a barrel sample of uh, Cab Franc that we just pressed. So, um, I, I want to talk about this is wine that is made in Detroit but not grown in Detroit. Mm-hmm. So, the distinction's important or not so much? Mm. <clears throat> I think in the middle. I mean, we 
we have a vineyard under vine. It's in Detroit uh, at Mac and Beaconsfield. Um, it's not yet producing fruit. It takes grapevines about three years um, once they're in the ground to start giving you a crop. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also buy um, fruit from throughout the state of Michigan. Um, I think as we grow, the City Vineyard Project will still, you know, I think the goal is to get to about 50 tons. Um, but we will still need to buy fruit. And that's really normal for me. You know, the last winery I ran, we bought fruit pretty much from uh, Solving to Monterey, which is about a two-hour drive up and down the 101 in California. California so, huh? You know, that, that's pretty normal winemaking. So when when you go to buy fruit, um, what does that process like so are you tasting the fruit like fresh fruit like what are you doing uh i mean i think you i could tell you what i've done in the past yeah i feel like living in michigan things are a little bit different um but you know you get to know the vineyard manager you get to uh, taste wines that have been made from the vineyard um you may really like it because of its how it looks how it feels in the vineyard the site the aspect the way the sun hits it um the soils um and then you know it's it's a business business in California. So it's you approach them, ask if you can have a contract, if they have the availability to sell it to you. And then you go through that whole back and forth. It's not unlike uh, buying a house in that way. How, how much of that is uh, like the movie Bottle Shock? Uh, That's the only thing I know about. I, mean, I don't know Bottle Shock. Talk about it. You didn't see that movie? I, I, I may have, but I don't recall it. It's so about what, the Judgment of Paris. Yeah, it's got uh, Chris Pine in it as the uh, son, and it's got uh, oh, I, I always get him confused. Bill Pullman, right? Yeah, I get yeah. Bill Pullman and Paxton. Alan Rickman right. is the best part of the whole movie. Um, yeah, that's a great movie. It's totally factually inaccurate. It's based on a book, but is um, that, that's like I mean, is that what an actual California vineyard is like? Is that I mean, yeah, it's it's a really good movie. I mean, it's they're a, in a state winery, right? So they grow their own grapes. Okay. So I've worked for wineries that do that. And then I've worked for wineries that buy everything and don't own, you know, the land, land holdings in California are expensive. So if you're a bootstrapper, you know, owning your own land and planting a vineyard that takes really five years to pay back on, that's, that's a very large expense. You got to check it out, man. Yeah. You know, are you familiar with the story? I'm familiar. Yeah. That's the one where the, uh, the California wine beat beats out the yeah. French wine in a, in a tasting or something yep. like that. Yeah, yeah. So th- which did happen. So, okay. So yeah. they make this perfect wine, right? And it uh it they taste it and it's perfect and then the next day it's like brown. And they they're starting to smash all the wine and you know it's like oh, you know blah blah blah. And it turns out there's this uh, thing called bottle shock. And I forgot why, maybe you know, why why it it, it changed color. But then it ended up changing color back. But there's something about the because the wine was so. Pure, they're saying because they didn't they didn't allow oxygen to touch it while they were making it. Right, because it was so pure. I've never seen done. that happen in practice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess we, you know the movie. But then, uh, and they it ends up going to France and they fly smashes over. it. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. That bottle's in the Smithsonian, though. Really? Oh shit! Yeah. Wow. True story. And uh, so to get it there, they had uh, they're only allowed a certain amount of bottles, and so they convinced all these passengers to, you know, uh, to have these bottles and carry on. Oh, and they convinced like the entire plane to carry (laughs) bottles over so they could so they could go against the French. It's a good movie. I don't know. It's entertaining. Yeah, but I but but I go back to that. It's like you know I, I I I've been to oh I've been to wineries. I couldn't say, and I don't know if they've been. To me, they haven't always felt like 
like the movie uh, for a vineyard or that movie. But I've been to some in Canada that have a similar feel, but I didn't, you know, I didn't know if they're kind of universal in terms of. Yeah. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, it's agronomy. It's just grape growing. Yeah. So there's a vineyard and then there's a winery, which is kind of a food processing plant. Okay. So I think we tend to glam it up more than yeah. it's is necessary out in these parts of the country. But it's, you know, there are very, very beautiful properties out there. D- does For the sure. average consumer care about the distinction between made in or grown on? Like, is a state grown, like, important to the average consumer? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I'm sure to some consumers it is. I have, because just talking from my personal experience, I have never asked. I mean, you're Either the first I. person I've, you know, and, and the only reason I ask because I know that, like, you, you, we're not, you're not in a position to use right. state grown grapes yet. So, well, there's also the distinction where if you farm it, even if you don't own the land, uh-huh. if you take a lease and you manage the uh, farming of the block uh-huh. that you buy from, you can still call it a state. Um, so there's kind of a lot of weird loopholes there. Okay. But I'll tell you, you know, the last one I worked for, we made um, one, two, three, f- four or five different brands. And we didn't own any vineyards and not ever did it come up. So where where does that come into play? So so someone, you open a wine, a vineyard or a wine brand or whatever, and you decide you're going to grow grapes. What? How do you go down that path? Or not grow grapes, buy grapes. Mm-hmm. How do you go down that path? Like how do you figure out you want to make wine? I'll let you know when I figure it out. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, I think it's a very, uh, it's a bug that people catch. I think um, uh, I think my friend Valia probably put it the best that I've heard, which is, you know, this isn't really something that we can reinvent. Uh, it's been it's an ancient practice. Yeah. Um, but I think it's I want to try it. Right. Okay. So I want to do it and see if I can do it differently. Or, um, you know, myself personally, I went to college for it. Um, so what is that degree called? Uh, wine and viticulture with a con, excuse me, wine and viticulture uh-huh. with a concentration in enology is what my degree is. Okay. Enology? Enology. So basically the science of winemaking. So that's a lot of chemistry and microbiology. Wow. <laughs> you didn't think I was smart enough. <laughs> so, do you, I mean, you have to have like a, like a, like a foundation in chemistry and microbiology. Like- you would think so. <laughs> Is that a no? <laughs> no, I moved out. I never took any chemistry in high school, and I never took any in junior college. And when I got to Cal Poly, my very first quarter, I had general chemistry four days a week at seven in the morning. Oh, shit. And I, I was like, fuck. <laughs> What's a mole? I don't know what that is. And, uh, you know, the professor was like super boring, too. And uh, fortunately for me, the entire class was failing, so the curve was really good. <laughs> And then I'll, <laughs> I finally just hired a tutor and stopped going to class because I was just, I couldn't do it. Wow. Um, so I learned, you know, the hard way. Yeah. Um, I failed organic chemistry the first time I took it. <laughs> Passed the lab. <laughs> failed the lecture. And then uh, I actually, so my last quarter, I was retaking it. And I was like, God, if I don't pass this class, I'm not going to graduate. You know, and I was like 30. So I was like, <laughs> this is not cool. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's funny looking back. I have a pretty good working knowledge and understanding of it now, but the, on the academic level, it was really hard for me to pick up. But the knowledge you have of it is based off of grapes? Like, is it like, I mean, 
Well, I mean, like any college program, they make you learn a lot of things that you'll never use. Right. So I had to take survey of organic chemistry, which, yeah. you know, you learn how to do soapification reactions, you know. Um, you didn't do that on a winery. <laughs> um, and then also, in addition, um, we would have more specific courses. So I did wine microbiology, uh, wine chemistry, amelioration, and um, which means doesn't matter what it means. Um, <laughs> what does it mean? <laughs> amelioration to, to ameliorate analysis and amelioration. <laughs> just like you measure certain you know chemical compounds in the grapes and you may choose to ameliorate them so ah, you see? change <laughs> <laughs> didn't even go to school for it right folks, and I you didn't it. need to go to school for it, i guarantee <laughs> got it right. uh i could have saved myself like fifty thousand. um you you know you can change you can change the amount of acid or you can um you know some people even add like polymers to change the mouthfeel. You know, there's all different kind of things you can do. It literally is a food science. The, now, if you're doing your job right and you're using good fruit, you don't really need to be concerned with most of that. Yeah. Um, so that's the goal. So but if you make wine for Gallo, you know, they're pretty much making wine out of grape concentrate and filtered water. So the <laughs> science is kind of important when you get there. Like grape concentrate that we get grape juice from? Like <laughs> it started as grape juice. Well, true. It's reconstituting right. it. Right, right, right. But I'm saying like it's like that super sweet, like okay. Well, no, because you're, you're mostly a joke. But I'm sure, oh. it, I'm sure it's happening on some level. Because I mean, you, you get. I think I saw an Instagram video you posted last week where you're you're pressing grapes last week, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you guys get in like tons, tons of fruit, quite literally. Okay. <laughs> right. like That's how it comes. Truckloads, yeah. yeah. And you just press, so you guys have a, a, a great press? Mm-hmm. and then what? Everything a normal winery would have. So it uh, depends on what we're making. What did I post? We should probably pour something. some of this while we're, sure. while we're talking yeah. about Let's it. Start so. with some dry Riesling. Okay. Totally, um, to- totally wasting time in the pour. <laughs> <laughs> we're already 15 minutes. <laughs> There's a lot of wine to drink here. Um, you know, if we're making white wines, we usually press... The grapes, as soon as they come in, whether so you get juice instead of wine from the press. Okay. We leave them on the stems. Um, if we're pressing reds, they've already been fermented on the skins. And so then we're draining off the free run juice and then we'll press kind of like the, it's pumice more than anything. It's kind of macerated by then, right? Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, you know, if we're, the reds are coming in as grapes, we put them through distemmer usually. So that's a very kind of dangerous machine that'll yank the grapes off of the stems. Throw the stems away. Um, yeah, everything is very sort of just mechanical on that end. Okay, if that makes sense at all. How how long is the shelf life on the stuff? Do you get you got to process it right away once you once you get all the fruit? Yeah, I mean we don't have cold storage at least now in the winery. Um, and so the less time it has to sit around, the better. Okay, you don't want to, you know it's like uh it's not it's just like any other fruit it will spoil if yeah. you leave it sitting out which. On some level, fermentation is spoilage of fruit, but we would like to manage it if we can. So, uh, Anthony Bourdain famously said that if you have like a filet mignon, like any monkey could cook a filet mignon, right? Mm-hmm. So, if you have really good fruit, can anybody make a good wine? It certainly makes it easier. Okay. Like, I think a lot of people, you know, your education only really becomes important when, like, in case shit. You know, like mm-hmm. if you're like if you're being asked to make a quality wine out of a f- not great fruit product, education helps. Um, if you know, or if something goes wrong during a fermentation, you need to fix it. Um, so selfishly, because I put myself through college, I would like to believe that you know 
not anybody can do it. Right. Well, no, and that's why I ask. So, so like, uh, but for sure, Brandy, there's a reason that certain wines command a higher price too. Right. Because if the fruit costs ten thousand dollars a ton, you know, then that's goes down to the bottle price as well. Is that an average? Pr- no. Oh, it's a Napa Valley price. That's a Napa Valley price. Mm-hmm. What, Napa Valley what, cab. What's an what's an average price for a ton of grapes? I don't know. I mean, uh, for quality fruit like Santa Barbara County Syrahs, like four thousand dollars a ton. Okay. White's usually a bit less. You know, I bought Chenin Blanc at 2000 a ton last year. Um, it really just depends on what you're making and how sought after the vineyard is because it's a commodity. Um, California is in what we know as a glut right now. So great prices are very, very, very low um, just because there's so much availability. But that's not the goal, really. The farmers are losing their ass. Right. How, how much of the, how much of the uh, fires messed with the great population in northern california not really at all really seemingly uh i feel like vineyards well first of all vineyards don't necessarily burn that often um they actually are a place people hide during fighters because they're so well irrigated um if anything in especially in 16 and 17 there was a lot of smoke taint from the fires so what will happen is um the smoke from the fire will actually attach itself to the skin of the grape and in some cases, it'll react with the glucosides. And so that even if you wash the grapes before you press them, there still is uh, 4-EP. It's a smoke compound in the grapes. Um, and so it's translated into the wine. And so you have smoke tainted wine. And as yet, there's not a treatment for that that uh, where the taint won't come back. It can go away, but it'll come back. Um, so that has been the majority of the effect on the wine industry from the fires. Lake County definitely lost some acreage in 16, but not really any of the other Appalachians so far. Fortunately, I would think that it would have to change the soil though at some point, like over the course of time, changing the composition of the soil based upon the ashes in the air that are going to deposit back down. Not really. No. <laughs> hmm. What? I'm just I'm shocked by that. Oh. <laughs> no, because well, so- I, I know so much of the uh, of the of wine is is based upon soil uh, production. It is, but the. You know, the compounds don't break down or, and they're not picked up by the grapes that way. Um, okay. So it doesn't, I guess it doesn't work backwards is what I'm saying. I don't really have research to give you, but I've never, I've never heard of that. I should go to school to learn about mm-hmm. it. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Did you learn about grafting in school? Uh, like of grapevines? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, vinifera onto rootstock. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we had, you know, we had a vineyard at the winery as well as, or at the college as well as a winery. So I worked in the vineyard. I had some classes that were quite literally just vineyard bitch work, <laughs> which I really enjoyed, actually. Unpaid, unpaid internship. Correct. <laughs> you actually had to pay for it. Oh, <laughs> you paid for it. Ah. <laughs> Cal Poly's model is learned by doing. So everything, which is really good, actually. So everything is very hands-on. So this thought of, th- this idea of terroir, which comes up a lot in, in, wine is um that is based off of estate wines then or no no that's just the idea that every you know when you're making wine sort of you're expressing a place so that doesn't mean that you need to own the place it just means that you know Syrah from Biennacito is going to express a certain flavor profile so that's it that's terroir that's a sense of place I feel like Uh uh-huh um, 
but but taking the grape out of the place and bringing it to another place that you're still expressing the terroir of the place it was grown. Yes. I feel comfortable with that. Okay. Yeah. Um, so then, uh, what kind of, what kind of touch does the winemaker put on a wine, uh, given that the grapes, so grapes are grown in a particular region, say, Mm -hmm. uh, whatever region, Lelanau Peninsula or something like that. Um, what touch are you putting on the grapes? I mean, that's a really philosophical question. I mean, I think it's no different than cooking, right? So a chef might buy, I don't know, foie gras from France. They're going to make a dish out of it in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, it still speaks to the place it was made in. Well, no. So and this, this is the larger, this is my larger question because this is, this is the point. So winemaking is very much science, mm-hmm. but there are elements of, because cooking it says that baking is a science and cooking is like an art, right? Mm-hmm. So there, winemaking is a kind of a, in the middle. Okay. I mean, I take a good example would be so my last boss, Kurt Shacklin, um, really is into expressing side of you know sense of place, and so one of the things that he does now is he doesn't use any um, commercial yeast. He actually goes into the vineyard a couple of days before he's going to pick, and he uh, picks some fruit off the vine and smashes it up and puts it in a bucket and covers it up and then has him bring it in with the fruit. And so that begins to ferment naturally in the vineyard. And then he uses that as his inoculant. And so there are all these different ways. So what is an inoculant? So if you pitch yeast, just like in beer making. Uh-huh. So that's your that's how you get your fermentation going. Okay. So yeast, you know, uh, wine is a product of fermentation. So uh, the grapes are your sugar source. Mm-hmm. And your yeast will eat the sugar and they'll produce alcohol and carbon dioxide. And so the carbon dioxide usually blows off and then you're left with alcohol and all of the compounds that form the flavors that are in a wine. Okay, great. So let's take a quick break here from our sponsor and we'll be right back with Chris Southern. Sitting with Daniel Estrada, co-founder and CEO of 86 Repairs. 86 Repairs is a sponsor of this week's episode of Herd. You can learn more about 86 Repairs at 86repairs.com slash herd. Daniel, last time we talked about how, what 86 Repairs is. How does 86 Repairs work? Sure. So anytime there's a repair or maintenance issue in the restaurant, um, our restaurant group customers can text, call, or email us. Basically, the whole staff has access to getting in touch with us. We give them one number to call uh, for any repair needs, and then we manage the whole process for them. So let's say it's Friday night, your walk-in goes down, it's not temping, uh, your GM calls us, we'll walk through trying to solve that problem with them over the phone or via text message. Um, we'll look for simple things, you know, resetting circuit breakers, reset switches on compressors, defrosting stuff, you know, whatever we can do to help the team avoid a service visit in the first place and avoid that cost of having a service company come out and fix something. We'll do that first. If they need a service company to come out, we have a whole network of vendors that we work with that we vetted that we know are good you know, here in the Detroit area and in all the other markets where we have customers. And then we'll manage the dispatching process. We'll communicate with everybody, keep everyone in the loop. So if you're a director of operations or a district manager, you know exactly what's going on anytime with that repair. And we make sure it gets done and gets done right. Is 86 Repairs a nationwide company? Uh, not quite. So we're in 15 states right now. Uh, we've been growing very quickly. Um, just over this past summer, we've expanded into 12 new states. Um, and our customers love the offering. It's been really rewarding to see how much time and money we save them. Great. To learn more about 86 Repairs and to know if it's in your location, uh, go to 86repairs.com slash hurt. 
All right, we're back with the uh, general manager and director of production of Detroit Vineyards, Chris Southern. Uh, Chris, we were, before the break, we were talking about um, what the hell were we talking about? <laughs> fermentation, wow. fermentation, and and, uh, and uh, sugar. Oh yeah, the the process of oh, let's talk about scale. I want to talk about scale. Scale. Um, okay. Okay. So, uh, what is the size of Detroit Vineyards in terms of winemaking, like? Uh, what is a average batch size? Oh, um, not huge. I mean, probably about a you know we ferment things when possible in half ton bins, mm-hmm. and then the press can handle depending on if it's uh, whites, so still whole berries, or if it's uh, fermented reds, two to four tons at a time, and each ton will give you about one hundred and sixty gallons of wine. I, and I, if you can, I I don't know. Some other way to grasp. I can't grasp the concept of ton. So, like, I mean, just two thousand pounds. Two thousand pounds. <laughs> How many moles is that? Exactly. <laughs> two thousand. Okay. 2, so it's like a you know, it'll a half ton fits in a four foot by four foot by I don't know three foot macro bin. Okay. All right. So that makes uh, that makes a little bit more sense to me now because I, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, what? What's a what's a ton of grapes? What's yeah. a ton of liquid? I I don't know. No, I, I I agree with you. I, I was kind of having struggling with that as well. You know, yeah, it's so hard like, if you can't see it. You go to the store and you buy a bag of grapes, and that's like <laughs> less than a ton. That's a, yeah, <laughs> way less than. A ton. That's like maybe a glass. <laughs> that's a, okay. So a bag of grapes would give me a glass. Yeah, sure, probably. Huh. Okay. That's I all. I would recommend starting to make wine at home. I'm, <laughs> I'm not. I'm just putting things in perspective. Yeah, like, my grandfather used to do it, and it was awful. Really. At least that's what everyone said. I, I was too young to have ever tried it, but um, Grandpa's wine was uh, like wallpaper stripping wine. It's Prohibition hooch? <laughs> yeah. Possibly. Everybody I talk to, we do tours at the wine, and they're like, my grandma used to make wine in the backyard. Like, how, really? How can, yeah. How come we don't have wine? Uh, I mean, because I mean, it's made from grapes that are it's the color grape. Why don't we do that? You know, like the purple color grape. What? 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 <laughs> grape. Grape is purple, right? No, like there's green grapes. Well, there's yeah, but they're called green grapes, right? And they yeah. make a white like wine. the color grape, it's what? purple. Oh, so why isn't it called purple wine? No, so why don't we have purple wine? <laughs> I mean, we don't we have purple. Is this a joke? Is it a dad joke? <laughs> oh no, <laughs> oh, I thought oh, was, oh, you're going down I a told, path. I totally am doing a dad joke. <laughs> no, I was serious for a second, but then I started thinking about it because I, you know, like when you're a kid and you're growing up and you're having grape juice. Yeah, it, you're not having green juice. You're having purple juice. Right, grape juice as a kid, and it made me think about it because you're talking about uh, grandfather doing making wine. It's like, oh yeah, it's like grape concentrate out of the freezer. Oh, oh no, my grandfather used to bring used to have the grapes dropped off at the at his house, and he would um, press them. He he did the real deal. Really? Yeah, yeah. He had he had a press in the basement. He had uh, barrels. Uh, he would let them ferment. Yep. He used to know what the hell he was doing. Wow. Yeah. I, I mean, he he did know he knew enough to be dangerous. Put it that way. Got it. Yeah. Okay, got it. He 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 didn't go he didn't go to school for it. Right. He just like decided one day he was going to make wine, and he did it. He had also had a, a grapevines in the backyard, and grew grapes. Never worked for him because um, they're not easy to grow. Well, and there's different kinds of grape varietals too. Right. Or grape vines. Some aren't really meant to make wine. Right. And also, so how do you? There's an issue. Is it the issue of latitude? So grapes that grow on the same latitude can grow, like so. Like the latitude, our latitude matches. Is it 
I think pe- the 45th parallel people oh. love to throw that out there. Yeah. Is, is that true? Uh, no. Okay. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's marketing. Um, I think what they're trying to say is, well, that's like they're saying we're on the same – the 45th parallel, I think, is the same as um, – it's either Bordeaux or Burgundy. So in Traverse okay. City, they're using that as like, oh, we're as good. Um, the real issue Wait, is – Wait, what? We're as good? Well, I think that's what they're trying to sell. I mean, there's like – Hundreds of years of history in right, that exactly. region of France. Okay. I just want to be clear. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or at least that we can do – we could be as good. I don't know what they're trying to do with that. I, but uh, it's just a climate question. Right. So certain grape varietals don't do well in with less sun you know, because they need more time to get ripe. And then certain grape varietals are going to be more resistant to temperature swings. Like Riesling and Chardonnay tend to do pretty well. Pinot Noir, if it gets below negative five – it's not going to be good. Um, and so really, I think that's the question. So, you know, it's like we probably should be planting things that you would find grown in Alto Adige or Tokai or Burgundy, maybe, or, you know, stuff like that, just because it tends to be colder in those locations. So like Beaujolais is pretty cold. So Gamay does pretty well here. Um, Gruner Valliner does really well here, actually, too. So just that kind of stuff. What are you growing in Detroit? We actually have a hybrid uh varietal undervine called marquette and so uh i believe that decision was made around cold hardiness because it is it does really well so are, how many wines are made with that grape or is that something that you guys are just trying no quite a few people in michigan oh, do it okay and i think beyond michigan probably new york um other cold weather regions the the challenge there is that you know non-vinifera grape varietals don't produce the same flavors that vinifera does and so you can never make a wine that's as good a quality uh, so go back to those terms that you just used so <laughs> it sounds like vin- is that latin? Is that- it's latin yeah oh, so hey. that's how grapevines are named <laughs> <laughs> so vitus is the grapevine and then vinifera is the common grape or uh, the common i guess it would be species that we use to make uh you want to went to school <laughs> <laughs> and so those are deemed you know but european grapevines and then we've got American grapevines. And so hybrids are a cross of the two. So, um, for example, I'll mess all of this up, but uh, Traminette is a cross of Gewürztraminer and I believe uh, Joanna Seval. Um, and so we just married those two and made a great baby. <laughs> <laughs> great baby. Um, <laughs> I'm just checking out. So. Uh, yeah. So th- how many, I, I don't expect like a, like a actual answer in terms of the exact number, but how many grape varietals are there? Oh shit! Uh, in Italy alone, there's 300. 300. How so, many of those are useful for wine? You said not those are all vinifera. Okay. So I mean, there's thousands total. There has to be. Hmm. And, and but but I mean, on the shelf at the market, there, there's maybe what like thirty or forty that at are most. I mean, especially here, we're very kind of. Napa centric, so okay. you know people don't know what Syrah or Cunois or Grenache is. Um, people love Cabernet and Chardonnay because those—that's what they've heard. I like rosé all day. Rosé yeah. all day, but rosé yeah. is like th- that could be Cabernet, that could be. Shit. Whoa! <laughs> 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 you know, <laughs> um, I drank a bottle of that. Well, it wasn't. Is it rosé? So that there's two pool boys, right? There's a there's a rosé pool boy, and then there's the dark red. Uh, what same. the hell's pool boy? Pool boy? Yeah. Oh man, it's a uh, plastic bottle uh, <laughs> wine. You get it? They ha- they 
sell it at Whole Foods. They, they <laughs> stopped carrying the rosé. Plastic bottle? Yeah, so you could take it to the pool. <laughs> I used to make a canned wine brand, and we made a rosé called Pool Party Pink. Okay. I had canned wine at uh, uh, Mod Pizza before. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah, I drank a bottle of this, of this pool boy last night. and Is it, uh, It's a regular 750, like a regular wine yeah, bottle. it was like eleven ninety nine or something like that. No, 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 seven fifty. Mean the milliliters. It's like oh, that. that, that yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's exactly <laughs> exactly the same size. It's just made out of plastic. Bottles made out of plastic. I don't so think can, I've ever seen a plastic wine bottle. So you can take it. to I've the pool. seen them, not very often. I, I've seen cans fairly often, especially uh, you're re, you're referring to field recordings. Actually, or, no, we made no. it for Sunleash, but Andrew oh. loves him a can. Okay, <laughs> yeah, um, because I know Field Recordings has a bunch of them at uh, Western Market in Ferndale. There's a, they stock those uh, over there. Um, yeah, this plastic uh, bottle. Yeah, Whole, oh boy. Yeah, and they. I asked the guys at Whole Foods, and they said they stopped uh, producing or stopped uh, carrying the the uh, rosé version of it, and all they have is this. I don't. I don't. I'm stupid. I don't know what kind of. Uh, Bridal it is, but it's it's almost like a sangria type. So mm. I, I was know. gonna say, who's who's taking a red wine to the pool anyway? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. sweet, would you? Yeah. <laughs> it's refrigerated. You refrigerate both of them. Oh, I do. Oh, interesting. Do you like a little kunwas at the pool or some gamay? That's what it is. It's gamay, I think. Oh, I, really? Oh, yeah. That's what it is. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, rosé. Yeah, you see, see the gamay. Yeah. Or there's a there's a sparkling red that I like a lot by. Uh, Lini, it's a, it's a dry lambrusco. Mm-hmm. It's fucking delicious. super refreshing. Yeah, I miss really, sparkling. Really good. Those but... cool kid bistro wines. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, and okay, so so let, let's talk about that for a second because there's so many wines out there, and there's some that you can get at anywhere from like Walgreens and and Kroger, and then there's your bottle shops that are like. Um, Curated Western market and, and holiday market, holiday market stomachs, holiday market is a mix of both, I would imagine. Um, and, th- and then there's a place like Detroit Vineyards mm-hmm. where you're making the wine, right? So how do you kind of push someone or not push, but like pull someone away from buying wine at say CBS towards buying wine at, at a more curated level or coming into Detroit Vineyards? Well, I mean, I think. That's kind of a hard question. I mean, I think the people don't necessarily jump in, you know, from PBR into like Screaming Eagle. So I think some of those CVS wines are maybe like a gateway. And Screaming Eagle is a <laughs> it's like a two hundred dollar Cabernet, okay, Whoa. Napa. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, uh, yeah, and I, I mean that, that that's another issue is value, right? So right. if you're if you're starting, and so I used to work at Trader Joe's. Mm-hmm. Trader Joe's is known for Three I mean, truck. right? Oh, I, I was truck. just I just bought. Oh my gosh, they they had some Trader Joe's Reserve Pinot Noir, and you know they're sampling it. And I was like, oh, and then they're like, oh, these are the last of the bottles. There's no more bottles after this. And I was like, all right, I'll take a few of them. It's the oldest trick in the book. I know, <laughs> but it's scarcity. But it's probably right. Uh, it probably is. You know, Trader Joe's done a great job of. Uh, I f- I feel like overall they've helped the wine industry because they have been able to capitalize on years in California Lake now where there's a glut and people need to get rid of juice. Mm. So Trader Joe's will pay cash for it and they'll put it in their own label that Trader Joe's Reserve. Right. Yeah. And those are in some cases are really good wines for like a pretty low price. And then so you hook the consumer in and then they get interested and then they start learning more and the more they learn then they want to try new things. And so then they spend more money. But also I think it depends on what you value. 
you know, my parents look at what I spend on wine and they're like, you got your fucking mind. <laughs> you know, no wonder your student loans aren't paid out. Like, well, you know, you got to live. It's research. It's research, right? 100% it's a write-off, bro. Yeah, thanks, Trump. You can't, you can't uh, take it off your taxes now. You can't do enough. Well, maybe you can do enough deductions of that. I think you got to have over 10000 or something. That's, oh, really? That's ridiculous amount. That's just one bottle of wine for him. That. <laughs> What's the most you've spent on a bottle of wine? Me? Yeah. Personally, myself, um, probably a hundred bucks. Like, I don't, I mean, the thing about live working in the industry for a long time is that if he, now for me, if you're going to charge more than $50 for a bottle of wine, you're going to need to explain to me why, because ah. I know what it costs to put that in the bottle. So, uh, you know, I've had, cause I've worked for some nice wealthy people. I've had like older bottles that were probably in the thousands. So that's um, something that you've had it taste of or something like not something you mm-hmm. bought i got correct yeah yeah and i thank you so much yeah well, this is <laughs> <laughs> but i don't have the budget for that so <laughs> there's a store in ann arbor uh when i'm out there i like it. i i forgot if it's called everyday wines or or 25 and under so everything in the store is under 25 dollars oh uh, yeah i feel like they used to have a store in ferndale years ago in carytown it's uh Th- there there are so many wine really good wines out there for under 30 dollars well everything that we made at fabulous was 20 you yeah. know so it can be done for sure. They may not be, you know, those are simpler and we spend less time on them. You know, they're kind of more churn and burn, but we use quality fruit. We use quality winemaking practices. So certainly it's doable. And then you have to, I mean, I imagine for you as a, a business owner, you got to factor in your, your marketing, your, your labor, your, you know, all that stuff into the cost yep. where some of these other places don't have to. Well, that's really where the scale question comes into play. Mostly it's like, if you are depreciating your, labor, your marketing, all of that stuff across 60,000 cases. Sure. Sure, you can do it cheaper than if you were doing it across 3,000 cases, right? So that's, you know, once you make more wine, you can usually get away with charging a lower price for it. So do you do you bank on like events? Do you bank on, uh, uh, I don't know, different types of ways to entice people? Mm-hmm. To talk about talk a little bit about how you're, how you're bringing folks in. So... Um, trying to build our social media presence. We also have wines in distribution here in the state, so people will see them in bottle shops and restaurants, and hopefully that kind of triggers them to come in. Uh, we offer tours, public tour on Saturday, and then we offer private tours anytime you want to book them. And then um, we do have a pretty big, beautiful space, so we will do buyouts if you want to have an event there, if you want to do your wedding or your rehearsal dinner or whatever. Um, the rest of it, I think, is going to be us getting out in the community and kind of word of mouth. And uh, just kind of selling the experience. You know, you can't really go wine tasting anywhere in, else in Detroit. So at least not where the wines are made there. So gotcha. come on down. Is there any point of like, uh, is, is that a difficult point too? Because a lot of the wine tasting done, say, in Leland Peninsula is done at, on a tourism level. So like Detroit isn't at the point uh, of being like a huge tourist city yet. So like, how do you kind of navigate that? I'm still trying to figure that one out. You know, it is very much the case that uh, we should, I feel like we should be a destination, but also it's like people aren't on vacation when they're here, they're working. Right. And so it's not, we're not on a wine trail. Um, I think I'm going to be working with some of the folks in Eastern Market to try to put together sort of like a round robin. There's two breweries and a distillery there and then us. So we can turn that into kind of its own experience. Um, 
you know, and but again, a lot of it, I think, is just building awareness. People will come to it. I think we're going to have more of a destination come this summer because now the auto show has switched to the summer. Why? It's going to be a heat. <laughs> Why? Because <laughs> nobody wants to be freezing their ass off in, you know, But January. it's inside. No, it's going to be, well, major- obviously the auto show itself is inside, but there's so many events that are planned for outside. So many events are planned. I mean, the footprint is just gigantic now, and it's just going to be a big, big, big deal. That's in June, yeah? Yeah. And, I mean, you got the Electronic Music Festival right before mm-hmm. it, then you got Grand Prix, and then you got River Days, and you got the Fireworks. I mean, it's all within, like, you know, weeks of each other. Those those yeah. couple months are going to be... I mean, I never thought I would say it, but I feel like at this point, I would like fewer people be in Detroit. <laughs> Plus, you're going to have, I mean, we're, we're probably not going to be winning, but you're pro- we're just going to have Tiger Games. Uh, you'll have LCA. LCA is sold out um, out of 365 days. It's probably now up to 310, 320 <laughs> days of the year has some event at LCA, if not more. Little Caesars Arena. Yeah. 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 I, I don't like calling it that. Uh, I mean, well, yeah. Um, <laughs> For those uh, listening who don't know, what, right. you know, um, so I, I want to, I, I do want to talk about all these events, right? Because like we we mentioned can wine a second ago, mm-hmm. um, and I go back to field recordings. They had this wine, I think it's called Foxy. Mm-hmm. It's like a carbonated spritzer. Spritzer. Mm-hmm. Is there any? Is that something that you guys could do in terms of like not not stealing that idea specifically, but having like a spritzer set up widely available to people in the local area? Uh, it's probably not a bad idea. I mean, we definitely have to we have to sell to two different communities. And we have to sell to some people that want everything to be sweet. And then we have to sell to a community of people that think anything sweet is bad quality. <laughs> it's like, how do you do both? Um, and I have to say, uh, I stay away from Riesling. I, did, I, I enjoyed your Riesling. I, it's dry. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. And I generally stay away from Riesling because I find Riesling too sweet. That's the lie that Michigan's told the world. Yeah. Uh, Riesling, you know, if you have a good spot laser, like a, or an Austrian Riesling, they're more often than not going to be very dry. They're supposed to be, or like Claire Valley Riesling from Australia is delicious and it's dry. So Mm. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. And I mean, I haven't, I mean, I've, I've gone through my progression of wines from, I, I want to say I started with Riesling. Then I probably went quickly to Chardonnay and left Chardonnay, uh, moving into, well, no, let's backtrack. I, I, Legitimately, probably started with White Zinfandel, but uh, whatever, <laughs> or Bartles and James. But, um, <laughs> then I, none. yeah, then I, uh, like then wine I, coolers. Oh man, Seagrams. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, Boone's Farm. Yeah. Oh, Boone's Farm <laughs> from sure. Isn't it interesting how White Claws just all of those things get back and just popular again? <laughs> all right. All right. Oh, that shit your mom used to drink, and that's the Claws <laughs> de la. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I drank uh, uh, Boone's Farm all day. Back in <laughs> all day back in college, man. Strawberry I Hill. will not judge you for it. Yeah. And then I moved into the Reds. So I started with the, the Sweet Whites and I moved into the Reds. And I ended up landing on Pinot Noir as my go-to red. Uh, I could drink rosé day and night, 24-7. I just, I just really enjoy that. And then I started um, – so I've gone to a couple uh, food and wine festivals this year. I went to the one in Austin. I went to the one in uh, Nashville. And – and navigated and because of the the temperatures there are real hot, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, ah, no, I really want a red wine, you know. So I navigated to the Savions because I, you know, they're going to be drier than the Chardonnays for me. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, oh, you want a Riesling? I'm like, no, not really. But if they, if, admittedly, if I had that one, the one that you, I'm pointing at yours, um, 
you know, that would have surprised me. So, I mean, um, that's kind of what I drink is aromatic white wines, dry ones. So Gruner and Kerner and all that kind of stuff. Personally, if it takes the acid off your teeth, I'm about it. I like it. You do. Uh, how do you um, convey the, the educational part of it to people who are like me saying, oh, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to try a reason because it's too sweet or I, yep. you know. I, mean, I have honestly considered just putting an Instagram post up, but it's not sweet. Because um, it really is. It's just a retraining. Yeah. Um, and it's hard for me to get my head around because I've been, the last 10 years, I've been living in winemaking communities. And so these things are a foregone conclusion. And so I'm like, oh, people don't know that here. What, so else, what else don't we know? Tell, tell me something else about your wines or wines that we don't know. Wines in general or our wines? Your, yeah. Uh, what do you know? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Pinot Grigio, I mean, think, Pinot Noir. What about it? I don't know. What do I know about it? Well, I don't know what I don't know. Pinot Grigio, is, it Pinot Pinot Grigio is Pinot Gris. <laughs> I don't know why people call it Pinot Grigio. Oh, so tell me that. That's a, it's a kind of like difference between uh, Sauvignon Blanc and Fumé Blanc. They're the same thing. So Pinot Grigio is Pinot Gris. Yep. That's the great battle. Um, so why do we call it Pinot Grigio? I have no that's the you went um, to school. I mean, that's what they call it in Italy. Okay, I think it's just a steelier version, or maybe a clone of Pinot Gris, right? Um, but why people do it in Michigan? It's I can't understand it. it doesn't huh. make any sense to me. Okay, see, like, I I didn't know that. I see it up north all the time. Like, it's not. <laughs> Did you know that? Do you guys know who Gary Vaynerchuk is? Yes, <laughs> he's funny. He does a bit about Pinot Grigio. Get off that shit. It's not fucking Pinot Grigio. <laughs> mm, it's just tasty. Um, I wait till Joe to ask. I'm curious. Did you know that about that Pinot Gris? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, yeah. Went to school. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's not a. I don't think that's a school thing. It's just something that. Ha- it's. I thought it was marketing. I think it kind of is. Yeah. How do you feel about the like the grocery stores that label things by region? Do you like that? Mm. Versus what? Uh, I feel like it's less confusing. Probably at least here. Yeah. I, some of the shops I like a lot in Michigan are the ones that kind of line things up by um, like sort of pallet weight. So we do the, the lighter, crisper stuff down here, and then the big, heavy reds are over here. And so they just kind of string it along as it gets beefier. I think that's kind of a neat way for the consumer. Because if you, you know, if you're learning, this is why people don't proceed down the path of learning about wine. It's because they walk into a store and they see Burgundy, Bordeaux, Alto Adige, and they're like, what the hell is all that? You know, and they just feel overwhelmed when they walk out. Yeah. I feel like the easier you can make it on somebody. I have I use an app uh when I go out to like places like Costco uh pulling it up right now. It's uh Wine Spectator X Values. Okay. And so like I open it up right now and it's it it's got it uh listed by the summer goes to top values 12 and under, reds for 20 and under, whites for 20 and under, and then sparklers which I don't do cuz I don't do anything carbonated. Um Why? and then it um so I had uh, bariatric surgery oh, years ago. Got it. Don't do anything carbonated, got which uh, limits me to uh, in more ways than I could explain. Uh, for <laughs> another, another for it. Oh, and then it. Uh, so like you click on it, it it uh, categorizes either by score, newest grape, region, or price. So I go into places where I'm like overwhelmed because there's Costco doesn't have too much. Costco has mm-hmm. got a decent amount, but you can go into some place like you're just going to a regular Myers. And, you know, just there's just so much stuff. And you're like, oh, I don't know what to, to pick. And so I look on here and it gives me some point of reference. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, 
that's why I asked about like what I mean you you've been you've been in it for so long but for like the the novices or the people that are that want to get into it but are kind of like I only know a few things and I and I know that Riesling's sweet and I you know even though we've talked about how it's not but the, um, the best thing to do though is yeah. to go into a wine shop or a shop that has a really good wine program not a Meyer or a Costco <laughs> and talk to someone who works the works the section yeah. I agree. It's like going to the butcher or a fishmonger or, you know, a cheese shop. You want to talk to somebody who knows what they're talking about. Yeah. And they'll lead you in the right direction, hopefully. E- even at Trader Joe's, like a lot of the people that run the wine section and uh, know a little bit about what they're what they're selling. Yeah. Um, and I think it's been – it's probably even better now since the wine tasting laws have been relaxed in Michigan. Oh, you can do samples, right? Yeah. Okay. So – um that's an avenue to go down to. Yeah. I mean, the best thing to do, at least from my experience is to have a a price in mind that you want to spend, you know, and say, and you go to the person working the section and say, I want your best red from France for under 25 bucks. And they usually look at that as a challenge. And they're, this is, this is what I would give you. And nine times out of 10, it's good. I used to do that when I shopped at merchants uh, back in the Mm -hmm. day. There you go. Uh, But I don't, I'm not living in that area anymore, so I don't shop over there. So, right. Uh, so now I go in. And I'm like, okay, uh, like we we'll go to Whole Foods, and we'll st- I'll start saying, okay, what's the price point that I want? And then I grab one of those six things because I'm like, well, if I buy six, I got ten percent off. <laughs> so I was at Trader Joe's, and I was like, if I buy like six, do I get ten percent off? They're like, no. Like, <laughs> the discounts built into the <laughs> right. The discounts <laughs> built in already. Company line. I was like, all right. I was like, all right, I'm buying six anyway. <laughs> Right, I all those stores, and maybe not Trader Joe's as much, but all the other ones, they're still only going to stock what they think they can sell. And so it's like they're only going to have like so much variety. But I think if you go into someplace like the Royce, yeah, oh like, yeah, they're going out of their way to find stuff that they stand behind, but everything is still like less than 25 bucks. And admittedly, when I went to the Royce, all I got was a rose. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> I was like, what? Just give me a rose you have. But it could be a great rose. I mean, no, no, yeah. yeah. And I mean, same thing with Western Market in Ferndale. Like Jared and Putnam, who run that section there, are like incredible wine mines. And they, they're getting things that they might not be able to sell. Mm-hmm. Or they'll buy things at a, you know, buy something they really love a lot of it and they'll, push the hell out of it yeah um which is not going to happen at a meyer because no right. one's pushing whatever you know no one's no one's getting a great buy it well they might be getting a great buy but they're not pushing the great buy it might always test which wines you know by how much dust you can <laughs> wipe off it from your, your finger so it's better than picking it by the label so i do pick it by label <laughs> all right i do i mean it's terrible but i ha- i mean sometimes I look, I look at it and i'm like that is a badass label <laughs> usually it means the wine's not very good I, I, I yeah probably no that's not true but some of it i'm like that's uh that's a badass label and like you're just choosing it's like why not try that one yeah <laughs> for sure get home and you're like uh. <laughs> but the label's pretty i um, like i like your labels how did you design your labels we have a designer. She does them for us. She wow. did a really good job. And you've been with Detroit Vineyards for how long? Mm, five weeks. Five weeks. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're walking into a position where there's already wine made, mm-hmm. obviously. And now um, how do you make that transition from wine that you didn't make to wine that you made? How do you sell the wine that's made already? Uh, we just sell it. <laughs> <laughs> but so like when the styles when the styles different 
So the Riesling from 2017 sure. is going to be different than the Riesling that you produce, yes? Well, in that case, I actually think that is a good stylistic benchmark for us to emulate. Okay. I think that um, we're young enough that there's not a lot of brand awareness around that. Mm-hmm. And so I think that we can kind of sort that as we go. I mean, in truth, also, every year is different, especially in Michigan, because we have such a variable climate. And so it's not always going to be exactly the same. Um, you know, I'm, I want to do fun, cool stuff. And so we'll play. And so I think the next couple of years, we want to lock down the four or five SKUs that people can depend on every year. And then we'll do some one-offs that'll go to the wine club or just things that I find that I think will be fun to make and stuff like that. Um, but again, I think we're young enough that that's not really so much a concern for me. Did you say wine club? I, I was just thinking club, that. You guys, yeah. have a, you guys have a club? We're in the process of rolling it out. Yeah. Okay. So you'll be able to say, yes, I want to get shipments twice a year. And we'll be like, great, here. And, the, and you you don't, the, the consumer doesn't get to pick, right? You, It's like. Mm, probably not. Yeah. I mean, I think we'll offer an option to customize. But I most ideally, we would just say, this is our allocation for the spring. Otherwise, it's a lot of work. Sure. A lot of places will offer the option to you join the wine club and mm-hmm. then you can add bottles. Mm-hmm. That's the so you, here's here's what you're getting. I usually yeah. get myself in trouble on that one. Yeah, <laughs> and then they send you a message. Like, oh, we're going to charge your credit card this week. We're shipping in three weeks. Mm-hmm. You have a couple more weeks to add <laughs> bottles. Yep, and, and then they send you another email. Oh, are you sure you don't want to add anything because you're only getting six bottles and six cans? And it's like, what? Well, don't you want a case? Why? Well, right? Yeah. Like, come on. So it's spend a little new, more. This is the new Columbia Music thing, right? Uh, sure. <laughs> I mean, what they don't tell you, well, they don't give you anything. You don't get the like 12 for 99 cents. Right, right, right. <laughs> oh yeah. It's not, yeah. it's not that, not that you gotta, you gotta send it back within two days or it's going to cost you $50. <laughs> right, basically. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've been, I've seen a, not wine clubs per se, but I've seen other clubs that I've been considering like getting into like baking clubs or, um, not so much bread clubs. The bread clubs were exciting, but I'm like, I just don't mm-hmm. eat enough bread, but. Um, bread clubs? Yeah, yeah, where they you get shipped loaves of bread. Like Zingerman's does bread clubs. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Like you can have a club for anything now. I think so. Stitch Fix, you don't ever need to leave your house, ever. <laughs> yeah. It's, <laughs> I, I admittedly looked at that for a while, and I was like, eh, I was just not leaving your house? Like a... No, <laughs> Stitch Fix. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, I was, you know, because the pictures that they put on there, like, oh, those are kind of cool. And then I'm like, they're probably going to send me something stupid, and then I'll have to send it back, and then... They're never going to get me right. I don't know. My assistant at work had, is in like a like a smoothie club. What? Yeah, she gets like I don't know pre pre packaged like there's a green juices and oh yeah. and you throw it in a blend. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah, seen yeah. ads for that. And I'm like, what are you drinking over there? She's like, I'm so bougie. I'm like, I know. <laughs> I've seen ads. A smoothie. Yeah, yeah. It's it's I don't know. It's popped up either in my Facebook or Instagram. There's so much shit that pops up my Instagram that I click oh and I'm God. like, bye. <laughs> I I am the target market. Like it's just I'm so bad at this right now. I I'm just as stop. bad. I ordered DoorDash from Eastern Market today and we're in Eastern Market. <laughs> <laughs> they brought it to my desk. No oh, uh, asshole. I don't know if restaurant connection is still out there, but that was like the mm-hmm. for, and I, I, I ordered that before for something that was like across the street. It was that was, terrible. That was the OG DoorDash. I did it when it was cold, when it was like blizzard out. And I was like, I want to tip the guy really well, but I just didn't want to leave the house. It was like Thai food or something. Like, something stupid. The guy's this like, it, it's, years it's, ago. it's the place is right there. Right. 
You asshole. Really? Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's bad, right? I don't know. I wish I could door to, uh, Oh, what was that? It was in um, uh, the movie Swingers uh, where they uh, like bought, they had like a, a delivery of beer to their, to their house. Oh, you can do that now. You can do sure. that? No. Can you not? There, can you? There is a app. It, uh, I know it's in New York and LA called Saucy that, that they will pick up any booze you want for it. Really? Yep. How about here? It's not great. Yet. Uh, but Pot- you can join our Putnam wine club. I mentioned we'll... earlier, we used to do a, 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 bi- a wine bicycle thing where yeah. he would have like, and he would deliver wine on bicycle. Um, but he's no longer doing that. So. Oh, that would be kind of cool. Yeah. I call up and be like, hey, bring me some of this uh, Riesling that's dry. <laughs> um, so, Just join the wine club. Uh, you brought cider with you. We're not going to get, we're running out of time. But um, so, wine, cider, what else do you guys do? Mead. Mead. Mm-hmm. Is that stuff that you'll do continuously, like uh, ongoing, or is that something that you're going to like phase out? Or like, no. what's the, what's the, I think plan? we'll keep making it. Um, I think we're going to make less excuse because right now we have like 20. So, I would like to get it down to like two meads, two ciders, and then like eight wines. So, cider, I mean, ciders, require you to bring in apples mm-hmm. right and then mead requires you to bring in honey mm-hmm. so it's all stuff you're sourcing you're sourcing specifically yourself or is this stuff that you have like someone who's sourcing for you uh, i'm working with kirk to find apple juice or apples uh-huh. and then we actually have an apiary so we bank honey or we keep bees and they make honey for that matter oh that's great mm-hmm. who are, do you work with a local beekeeper or do you guys do it yourself we do it ourselves Oh. Have you done? Mm-mm. No. Are you scared? <laughs> Did you go to beekeeping school? <laughs> I'm not scared. I just haven't really gotten I haven't had the time to do it. It's 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 one of those things that we, we had yeah, um, bees in uh, the Brian, yeah bees in the D on here a while ago, and um, Brian was very very clear that you should not be scared of anything right. related to bees. They're very kind animals, um, but they get a really bad rap because um, of things that aren't bees. Yeah, like hornets and wasps. Yeah. yeah. These are like, I think they were just named, right? The most important animal on the planet. Oh, really? Yeah. Did not know that. I mean, they pollinate everything to keep crops growing. Yeah. They're important. That bee scene in Candyman really freaks me out, though. <laughs> I think he, he got, I was reading somewhere, he got paid like a gigantic bonus because he got like stung 20 times or something like that. Wow. And he got, he got a bonus for every time he got stung. Wow. I had an intern one year get stung like <laughs> five times in one day. Ouch. And I think he was mildly allergic to bees to begin Ooh, with. That's... Poor guy. The mead that you guys have now, is that made with your honey? Mm-hmm. Oh, well. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, oh, that's great. So uh, let's talk about um, the kind of uh, details of where where is Detroit Vineyards? We are at Gratiot and Antietam Gratiot in Eastern Market. East Market. Um, your hours? We are open... Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, 3 to 10, and then Friday and Saturday, 12 to 12, so until midnight, and then Sunday, 12 to 6. Wow. Yeah. Good. I think uh, we might adjust those for the winter. Is, uh, East, is the market do Tuesdays in the morning? Tuesday market is done for the year. Ah, uh, mm-hmm. okay. Were you open in the morning when Tuesday market? Mm-mm. No. We don't really. People kind of come after, and then like Saturday's the same. They'll come at 4 o'clock. We'll get busy. I gotcha. And no one's drinking in the morning. What? I mean, I do. <laughs> everyone's otherwise, everyone's at videos, right? It's true. <laughs> Cutters. Good point. Yeah, yeah. Website: uh, DetroitVineyards.com. Instagram: at Detroit Vineyards. Great. Anywhere else? <laughs> Facebook. Facebook: Detroit Vineyards. Yeah. All right. Chris, thanks for being with us. Thanks yeah. for having me. Absolutely. Until next time, dine well, friends. Thanks. <laughs>